Hey, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Uh, Zane Stevens, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Tell us about how growing up in South Africa was and, and your experience at college and how your parents supported you through your education experience at the beginning there. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those stories sort of starting out that good in numbers, good in math. It's always a strong point. Got to high school. Well, you're really good at that. You might as well, well, might as well try this accounting thing as well. Started doing that in high school. Quickly showed that I've got a good understanding of it. Got really good grades for it. When you got to the point where it's like, hey, it's time for university. What are you going to do? Most people were like, you should go be an accountant. You show you know, that you understand it. You know how to do it. You're really smart. Go become an accountant. I said, sure. Not really what I want to do. Don't really know what that means. Were your parents accountants or anything like that? or No, and neither of my parents actually finished high school. So my mom is what they call a legal secretary working for an attorney's office, and my dad is a, a diesel mechanic by trade. So head off to university. I might have been the first within the family to ever really go to university. Was that quite a thing, do you think, back then? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, it sort of went under the radar, right? Like, it was just sort of given, like, you didn't get fanfare and a parade on your first day. <laughs> no, as a family, I think I got my fanfare as younger. I, I did really well while well competing at karate as a kid. So I got a lot of fanfare there. So I think it was always just the expectation, hey, you've got smart kids, they should go to university type situation. And, you know, that was for me and my brother. And um, so went off, registered to go to university. Uh, the course that I took on was a, a BCom accounting for chartered accountants which is great. Uh, you know, I had some friends that were going to do it, but I had no idea what that even meant. Like the term chartered accountant, like, you know, who knows what that meant at that point. I just knew I was going to go study accounting. You know, got started with it. It was pretty fun to start with because the first sort of year of accounting was really everything I did in high school. So it didn't take much, you know, work at all to sort of get through it. Got a little bit harder in my second year. Some big learning curves, you know, the first test in second year, I was like, oh, that's not a mark I was used to getting. But sort of figured out pretty quickly, you know, it went from like, can you technically do accounting to can you technically think about accounting, explain why this is the right process. So it took a little bit of adjustment to get there. I got through my undergrad. I passed every single subject, never had to do a rewrite, you know, never had to redo a subject. Went into my honors degree, you know, so how to do an honors, you do four subjects, had to pass all four of them in that year to be able to be eligible to go into the Charter Council program. Got through that. That I scraped through two of the subjects, two of the subjects I did really well at, and headed off to where I'd already been recruited in at KPMG. So to become a Chartered Accountant in South Africa, you have to spend three years with an audit firm, effectively doing audit work. But there is a bunch of core competencies that you have to complete within those three years and the number of core hours you have to complete in those three years. During that period of time, you also have to write two board examinations, one really early in your first year and then one at the end of your second year. It might have changed a little bit nowadays. I think the timing's a little bit different, but that's how it was when I did this. Yeah. Back in, what was that, 2007, 2008 type scenario. Was fortunate, passed both first time, which is always fun. You know, there's big fanfare at the firms, big party to go along with it. Got through my core hours. I was very fortunate with my experience at KPMG. You know, being in Port Elizabeth in a smaller office, I got the opportunity to mostly in the automotive space, but deal with some really large, you know, multinationals where you on these big orders reporting to people in another country that you, you, you don't have communication with. But I also had the opportunity to work on really small projects where 
not only was I doing the audit, but I was also doing all the cleanup and accounting work and, you know, trying to help the business a bit more. So that's sort of where I got started. Yeah. Audit at KPMG for internationals would have been, well, you would have learned a lot. Did you find it pretty dry? And, you know, did you question what you'd done or it was right up your alley and, and you really enjoyed it? Yeah. So the funny, I always tell this funny story. Like when we first started, the first two days were supposed to be training days. Like you go in the office, you can get some training. This is how we do things and all of that. And it was great. It was, I think my first day was, we started January 2nd. I think it was a Thursday and it was a Friday. It was like short week and relax into the weekend. Near the end of the first day, a manager walked in and said, okay, and called out three names, including my own. They're like, great. You pull the client that has a deadline in 15 days. So we need you to go out to the client right now. It's like 4.30, really? Okay, we're going to head out. And, um, you know, so we had to go work on this project. And obviously that night we went 9, 10 o'clock at night and you know, the next portion comes up. So we went to the office and back to the client on the Friday night. And like, okay, we don't need all of you guys, but one of you guys um, are going to have to work this weekend. And it's the person working with this, you know, senior on the project. And I was like, oh, that's me. So, you know, within my first few days, I got the experience. I think I worked like... You know, I was over time within the first two days of KPMG, you know, including the weekend. So I got pretty shocked. I was like, hey, this is what this is all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the working world. Yeah. But I actually really enjoyed audit in general. I had a pretty good talent. I don't know. My colleagues used to call me Captain Audits, probably because I enjoyed it a lot more than they did. And I really went really it. Takes a unique type. It must be something that's uh, in your personality that's... Uh... That appreciates the numbers and the complexities. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of it, right, is I got a lot of opportunities to talk to senior management, right? I wasn't scared to go and talk to some of the management. So I got a lot of opportunities or potentially created opportunities that other people weren't willing to take. I really got to see the fun side of it. You know, I was considering like, hey, can I just stay in order and make this my career? But one of the partners that I was working with in my third year, uh, she sat me down. She's like, I know you love audit. I know you're really good at it, but this is not where you belong. Like, you know, you will eventually get frustrated with the process. And because what you're doing a lot of the time is going and trying to help people rather than actually get through the audit. It's great, but it's always not the most efficient. So, you know, you should look at consulting and, you know, because, you know, after three years, you get signed off and you're supposed to go off. I did look in the sort of consulting world within KPMG afterwards. I had to look to take on a role in that sort of space. I had been working on a large uh, national project because I had, you know, I had finished my core hours at the end of my second year. So my third year, while some of the other guys needed extra audit work, I was just sent around. Basically, I was just a billable resource that they would send around the country to get work done. Yeah. I looked at that time, but it was unfortunate. It was 2008. Oh, yes. Yeah. Good timing. <laughs> yeah. So not the best chance. I got a few opportunities, but most of them required me to leave the Port Elizabeth office and go to another office multiple different options within the Johannesburg office, a couple of options outside um, in Namibia specifically. I had a fairly good opportunity. I just wasn't ready to leave Port Elizabeth at that point. I had started dating somebody that I thought, you know, would be a good idea to stick around and see how this worked out. You know, I'm married to her right now and we've been married for 11 years. Good, good. Well, that, that was a good, a good plan then. Yeah. So, you know, I was looking at it. I went into the consulting team at that point in that political office, but it was very limited government work. I was effectively being, you know, as an AP clerk at a government department for a few months. So moving forward a little bit, but you ended up in working for a private company after that, or is this a couple of steps in between? Just one. My girlfriend at the time, my now wife, 
had finished her training contract, definitely didn't want to stay at an audit firm. So her partner had basically set her up with a client that he'd been working with that were American learners that had just bought a winery in the Stellenbosch area. So we decided we'll take that job and we'll move, we'll move to Cape Town. So I was able with a little bit of communication to be able to get an opportunity at the KPMG Cape Town office in their sort of IT department, you know, IT consulting, IT general control audits. So I went and joined that team for a few months on the contract and sort of worked my way through that portion. Because it was 2008 and it was really hard, it was taking a really long time for me to get the permanent contracts. You know, it, it basically had a guarantee of the partner. Like he's, he's like, I'm going to make this happen. We don't get a lot of chartered accountants coming into this department. We really want to make, you know, keep you within it. That didn't work for me. I didn't really want the uncertainty of that. So I went out looking and I was able, you know, fortunate enough to um, get an opportunity at this a listed company subsidiary, which I accepted on the spot, basically, which was funny when I went to go get my resignation. He's like, I literally just got your contract. I'm like, it's too late now, right? Like, this is a, this is a fantastic opportunity at a big company, a uh, lot of opportunity to grow, specifically what I want to grow into. I have to take it. So thank you, but this is my notice period. Yeah, and then you were there for a while, and then that was in South Africa, and then eventually you moved with your wife and family to America. Is How did that sort of all come about? Yeah, so, you know, we're in an interesting phase in our life. You know, we bought a house. We were sort of really comfortable. I had been promoted into sort of, you know, the layer underneath the, the CFO. I had really good growth opportunities. But the American ownership group that owned the winery my wife worked at had split. Uh, so, you know, the two owners had split and the ones that she was really worked closely with had gone off and formed their own winery consulting and investment company. Yep. And once they had a few clients, they reached out to her and said, you know what? We loved working with you. We think a ton about you. We need a CFO. Would you be interested in coming to California to be a CFO? Right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I sort of heard the phone call making dinner, um, <laughs> came through and I'm like, cool. So when you're moving, yeah. there's a really short, we had a conversation after that. The, the full conversation lasted eight minutes. You know, nothing was holding us back. We didn't have kids at that point in time. Right. Yep. You know, why not? Let's go do it for three years, see what it's all about. You know, while we don't have everything tied us down, let's, let's take this experience. So she left in May 2013. I sort of, you know, spoke to my current employer, you know, put in my, I gave him like two or three months. You know, we were busy with the financial audit of that year. So I wanted to make sure I got them through the audit, make sure that all the reporting was done. And I would join her at a future stage. So she came over in May. I sort of packed the house up, got it rented. You know, we had three cats at the point, shipped them off to California, and then joined her in August um, of that year. And I basically arrived in California jobless at that point. And so being in the wine industry, I imagine they were located in Sonoma or Napa or something like that. So their office at that point was in Sausalito in Marin County. Oh, yeah. And that's where we live right now. You know, We live in Marin County, so pretty nice place to uh you know, fall into. Are you in Sausalito or are you just north of there? Yeah, uh, so we started by being in Larkspur, then moved to Sinopal and moved to Nevada. Was, you know, rental prices kept increasing until we were at a point where we could purchase. We're very fortunate to purchase in 2019 where it was still Well done. Yeah, and uh, being a bit further north, you don't have to worry too much about the Sunday late morning invasion from the bikes. <laughs> in Sausalito, we 
we learned that the hard way of when we lived in Sausalito was you, know, you really have to plan your weekends in summer around the invasion. Yeah, I mean, when I first got here, she spent like two months in Sausalito and she's like, one, it's really expensive and two, it's not the funnest place to live. Like it's like it's hard to walk everywhere because every, it's a, Oh, yeah, it's so hilly. <laughs> she's like, I'm not sure this is going to really work for us. You know, she sort of found a condo in the locks for sort of space, which was close to the ferry, you know, they were moving the office. Well, we had a second office in San Francisco, so it was quick onto, you know, onto the ferry to get into San Francisco to do all that. So I joined that company she was working with in January 2014. And that's sort of my first step within the job market in the US. Yeah, and, and the wine industry per se. Yeah. So, I mean, that first role effectively, you know, they came on board, they said like, you know, we're having a lot more investments, a lot of people reaching out to us and we just need somebody to do like FB&A type work, you know, some of the planning analytics, a lot of exit strategy. Like if I buy this piece of land, we start planning it, how long before we can make wine and then how long before we can sort of sell and make X. So that was sort of the way I got into it for this consulting firm. But what ended up happening, and I did a bit of that work, but not a ton, what ended up happening, some of the projects they had started with, we sort of ran into the point and we were like, oh, you know, shit, who's going to do the bookkeeping and accounting? Yeah, who's going to do the actual work? Yeah, who's going to actually do it? Hey, Candice, you know, you're busy being the CFO of, you know, the company, the winery consulting firm with, you know, all these crazy structures that you're dealing with. So like, well, Zane, can you do it? Or is there a better way? So we went to the market at that point, did some research, you know, looked at what was out there. And generally speaking, we just didn't like it. A lot of it was really expensive. A lot of it was really poor quality. A lot of it was really expensive and poor quality. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, trying to be smart guys, we thought, hey, we could do this a little bit better. And the way we're going to do this is I know a bunch of people back in South Africa that have a chartered accountancy qualification that I know are really smart. But I also know that they've spent some time having a family and they're looking for a way to, you know, get back into the market, you know. So I'm going to reach out to a few of them and see if they're interested in taking on some part-time work to help us with the bookkeeping. I will manage the process from my side and um, you know they can basically do the work. And that sort of was the, the thought process between, behind sort of starting Protea Financial. Yeah. So we thought, well, let's put it in its own entity so that it's at least an invoice from a third party. So these investors aren't like, you're charging me for this and this and this and keeping as well. Like, what are you guys doing? That's how we started. It was just sort of to service at that point, you know, one client, I think it grew to two within the first month, you know, within the investments. And that was that was the starting point. And, and that's how Protea was formed. I guess the family by then, you and the wife had a, a pretty inbuilt or uh, entrenched knowledge of the wine industry, the the complexities of of uh, some cost accounting, the supply chain, the capacity to sort of you know bring the fruit to bear, excuse the pun, and and all of that kind of thing. But I've spoken to people that are the cannabis industry, and it's like some of the bookkeeping and management accounting can get is pretty unique, and the skill set is specialized. And I'm pretty good on the consumer end of the wine industry. But I haven't had a lot to do with, you know, supply chain. And we've done plenty of tours through Napa and, you know, understand the very basics of production. And we've given our free labor, our feet to the crush and all of that kind of thing. But it is a pretty interesting supply chain mechanism. And I imagine the accounting, it can be pretty interesting as well. Yeah. I mean, on that point, like she had experience, I didn't, you know. Getting free consulting over the dinner table. 
but I've always been somebody that's willing to to learn, right? You know, so started in the automotive when I was you know shoved around the country in South Africa. I was doing a lot of consumer good products, so sort of having to learn that space. Moved to the Cape Town office, also you know doing IT general control audits for tech companies. Moved to a tech company that has all these multitude of different products. One's real tech, one's really a collection service. The other one's hard products. So you know I've had to learn all the way. So I trusted myself that I could figure out the complexities on the way. And I felt really good about my cost accounting because of my automotive background, right? Because, you know, automotive company cares about the cost of the staple that goes in the headline to, to secure it to the roof. So I've got all these basic knowledge concepts and I'll learn the rest along the way. And, you know, at the same time, I've had some opportunities through talking to, to who are now my business partners about the difficulties of running a, a wine business you know, in terms of the three-tier structure on how they're having to sell their wine, how difficult it was to license, you know, 50 states, 50 licenses, all that type of stuff that went with it. So my general idea there was like, I'm not going to know everything, but I'm willing to put in the hard work to learn what needs to go into it. And I pride myself in providing a high-quality product. So if I think about this well enough, I know that I can put in structures to make sure that the accounting that we're providing these wineries will be of the highest quality. And then what we'll do is focus on maintaining the costs at an affordable level because it's shit expensive to go into wine. Like you're burning through cash like crazy. So we want to keep the cost down. But at the same time, we want to make sure we take advantage of a team 10 time zones away to be able to move quickly. And for me, you know, a lot of the time when I was looking at some of the options out there, what I didn't like the most was that they're like, we close books within 45 days of month end. And, you know, I hear I'm going to close books within 45 days of month end and like I get heart palpitations. Like, how is that helpful information, right? We've gone through another cycle. Like, it's just not. So, you know, my big thing was we're going to focus on closing books in 10 business days. You know, so in that you know eleven to fourteen day sort of range, and we need to create a structure that that is possible. Yeah, and how long did it take you to get to that kind of structure? I spent the first four years just going. I know this can work, but we have to figure out and make sure that it works. So we did zero marketing in the first four years. Any growth we had was purely word of mouth by clients or within our own network, just knowing people. What I did in those first four years is focusing on what would a team on each project look like? What do we want to do, right? So there's a lot of people who are like, hey, we do bookkeeping. We're your controller. We're CFO. We're F they want to do everything, right? So my goal is like, hey, what do we actually want to do? What do we think we can be really good at? And what can we do for these clients that we can leverage our team in South Africa? So that's how I spent the first four years. I mean, at times, you know, I was working 100, 100 plus hour weeks trying to get work done, you know. I probably took way too long to hire a second person in the US, you know, team in South Africa was growing, maintaining that team and just focusing in and going, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. This is the way we're going to be unique. And this is the way we're going to make sure that we will sort of change the way people perceive out source accounting. Yep. So the team in South Africa, you were training up in, in sort of the specialty of of wine and cost accounting and and the industry you're trying to service clients here with that kind of workload what was the strain on the on the family and the marriage and the kids and was it manageable yeah i mean i made time for it right it's uh 
get up early, work late. So find time for life. You know, my schedule's definitely changed since, you know, I've got two young boys now, you know, four and six, I'll soon be five and seven. So you know, there's a little gap before the first one came along where I would be able to do it. But even when I was working those long hours, I was still playing cricket for, you know, Clavier and Marin as well. You know, so I was, I was doing the fitness and social side as well. Uh, so I've, I've always tried to believe, everybody always trying to talks about trying to find balance. And I'm not quite a believer in the, the what everybody thinks balance is. I'm more like, I know when I got to put time in with different parts of my life. So I know it's important to me and I focus in. If work needs me right now, that's where it is. If my family needs me right now, that's where I am. If you know my health needs me right now, that's where I'm going to spend the time. And I try to focus in. So I've been able to sort of make time with it. And obviously, as the kids come along and grow a little bit older, I've, I've reduced my hours over time. But that's also come with sort of learning lessons and getting a good team place. I mean, we're 36 people right now. I mean, I couldn't fathom that there would be 36 of us. You know, there's eight of us here in, in the U.S. and the balance is down, in, you know, in South Africa. We still have the wholly owned subsidiary. So they're still our employees. They're still part of the team. You know, it's not some third party that's just churning through people. They are, you know, the team. I'm heading down to South Africa in a month's time. I'm going to go see them all. We're going to have a family event. So I'll get to meet their family for the first time in three years. It, you know, they are a team. They just happen to be on another continent. Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, 36 people is a pretty significant staff level. You said sort of over the first four years, you weren't doing much in terms of outreach and go to market. What do you do now to attract new clients? And how do you go about that? You know, the growth aspects of the business? Yeah. So after four years, it was like, okay, we're growing, we're getting growth. I've got team members. I have to hire someone in the US. I got to find them work. Right. So it's really important. Like we need to sort of find different ways to attract people. So my first initial strategy, and it's still the biggest part of my sort of marketing as it is, is I'm going to meet people within the space that I know can make introductions to potential clients for me. And the way I looked at it, it was the best way to get in with accounting is to find somebody with a stick. <laughs> a stick. Yeah. So I spoke to bankers and tax providers and those were my initial, like, I need to know who you are. Because bankers, a lot of the time, go, I can't keep financing you because your books are in such bad state. Bad shape, yeah. And the tax providers go, I can't do a tax return without doing a ton of accounting at a really high price. So you need to get something better. So I focused in on those two areas, mostly in the beginning of the bankers. You know, I went very heavily on the bankers, you know, I tried with the CPA firms. I got in with a few of them, but you know, a lot of them are trying to do their own outsourced accounting. So there is this little bit of like, we're a competition, which you know, I never really got this between accountants. We're a competition. We're not. We're all trying to achieve the same thing. And there's plenty of work for all of us. So let's just get along. But I'm in the minority when it comes to that sort of approach towards uh, my competitors. You know, competitors. I think still freaks some of my some of them out here in the wine industry. That why do you want to talk to me? I'm like because. I get clients that I can't help and you get clients you can't help. And why would you want them to go to the streets and, you know, have some person that's got no accounting experience, you know, willing to charge out at $20 an hour just because, you know, they don't know any better. And that's just quality and pushes their prices down. That makes no sense. So that's sort of what I did to start with pretty successfully. I was able to, I got a funny accent, which helps, right? People are <laughs> recognizable. My name is not that usual you know what you know name zane is not something you you bump into every single day so i had a few things going for me at that standpoint and then you know we'd obviously through this period of time been working with a lot of banks so we had 
sort of got a little bit of reputation, like, hey, these guys use Proteo. We don't see them often, but when we do, we don't even have to think twice about the work. It's a great quality. They get it, you know, they're responsive, which I think is a lot of the problem as well. You know, it's, you know, even to this day, like a bank is like, hey, how do you know if I should make an introduction? Like, if you ask for accounting information, it takes a week to get it. <laughs> That's a pretty good indication. Because <laughs> if you ask me, my team is allowed for pulling it overnight. You're getting it by like 9 a.m. the next morning, like you know, less than 24 hours. So that was my focus. You know, from there, we went a little bit into social media. You know, we've pushed there. We've done a few digital ads, some paper ads. Really, my big goal is brand recognition. I want to, when I get on a phone call with, with a potential winery, I don't want to be, you know, I went through a long stage, never heard of you guys. Where like, yeah, I've seen your name somewhere. I've heard from you from a friend, you know. So that brand recognition for more, for me was the most important because I think when anybody goes into something like I've never heard of it, it's got to be new. It can't be that good. All of our sort of outreach is focused on brand recognition. And then my team's quality of work sort of sells it for me, right? So people hear from a friend, like you've done such great work for them. They never have to worry about their financials. And that's sort of just, that's the best marketing you can ask for is just doing a good job. How much of your uh, bookkeeping and, and accounting fees do you receive in contra? Yeah, zero. <laughs> well done. <laughs> That'd be my downfall. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've actually never been offered product. Really? Wow. Bookkeeping, which I, I thought it thought it would be large, but it's never come up. Clients obviously say this, like, "Thank you." It's like, "Yes, I'm wine." You know, especially during you know the COVID period and lockdowns. I had a few clients that be like. I'm going to just drop some wine off. You guys, you know, you got me PPP money. Thank you so much. Just going to drop it off. Just give me your address. I won't knock. Just I'll send you a text later. I'm sure that's a benefit. What? Um, so what's next for the business? You're, uh, there's a couple of uh, sort of wine-focused, you know, accountants in, in the region, no doubt, but plenty of business to go around, I'm sure. What do you think that there'd be M&A opportunities there or uh, happy to grow organically? What's the plan? You know, so from a client focus, we're generally focusing on wineries of less than 10,000 cases. There's 11,500 wineries in the US and 92% of them produce 10,000 cases or less. So there's a ton of people that need help out there. So there's a lot of room to growth. Uh, Growth is never our first priority, though. You know, I'm always focusing on how do we continue to help our clients? How do we continue to give them a really good product? And how do we focus in on making sure that they have good accounting information to make good decisions? That being said, we've seen growth, like major growth. You know, since uh, the start of the pandemic till now, we've seen the best growth in a long time. We used to get a lot of clients in that sort of eight to ten thousand case range. Now we're more in the two to six thousand. So we've moved sort of down the scale in size of it, and helping a lot more people. We've seen a lot of you know growth come in. You know, some winery. Accounting firms close down. We take you know some competition, you know, clients away from our competition, and that's how we've seen general growth. We believe it will continue. I mean, I've got a list of seven potential wineries that could start with us in the next week, and probably getting you know two to five referrals a week of new work. So the opportunities are there. We've been very fortunate this year. We've hired at least one person a month uh, since December 2021, which is just crazy. I wouldn't even believe that that, that was impossible. And those hires are new positions. We're not replacing people. Our, our turnover is low. It's not zero, but it, but it is really low. We try and make it a really good place to work. My general talk to everybody is I will continue to do this while I'm having fun. And I'm having fun. So I will continue to do that. 
that doesn't mean there hasn't been people reach out and you know offers come in the door. Uh, I think this type of you know this current market, I, there's a lot of. I mean, I get daily phone calls like oh, I'm from an MA firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not real. You know, there's some some more hard like, hey, we're we really are interested, but it's a difficult place, right, to sell a, an accounting firm. It's not the most profitable thing in the world, right? So like the deals aren't great. Like you know. Sell a winery and it's a ten to twenty multiple of revenue. Where an accounting firm's like, if you get one, you're 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 killer, right? And they're going to pay it over the next four years to you. So I will never for the right opportunity that I think is makes a lot of sense for my team as well as my clients. I would consider it, but I just don't see that in any time in the in, in the short term. Like I'm planning for our ten year anniversary right now. You know, we're a year and a half away from it, but I'm I'm getting excited for that. Like I'm, I think that would be a massive milestone. To tell the truth, I had no idea this damn thing would work. Like, sure, sure. To tell the truth, I didn't even know it was a business when we first started. I thought it was a business unit, and now you know we've got over 140 clients, 36 team members, and growing. It's fun. We're doing really good work. Our clients are super happy with what we're doing. We're helping a lot of people, and I just want to be a part of it. I'm just excited. I've got a wonderful team. They really are all great. You know, not great all the time. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> is there a story with a client that comes to mind that is sort of helped over the years that uh, has seen great growth or great achievement or or just, you know, survived the hard times through COVID? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've got a winery that, you know, at a point in time was the fastest growing winery in the US. You know, we started with them when they were like 8,000 case winery. They had this concept of how they're going to grow their business. Very unique story. Uh, we're still involved with them. You know, they brought a part of it in house. Most people are left, and we've had to stay there and like stabilize the whole, you know, the whole building. We're helping them grow all the time. I think they're get, they're at, they're forecasting to do like three hundred sixty thousand cases this year. Wow! So you know, we've been with them from the beginning, and we're still a vital part of the team. Uh, so you know, that's always a nice one. You know, early on, we had a couple of great scenarios where like we took on a client. And in the first week, one of the team members was like, they double paid this person. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, there's two payments to this person for $10,000. The contract says it was $10,000. I'm like, when did that happen? Six months ago. Oh, no. Nah. <laughs> and like, they reached out and the person was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. I wasn't sure why you paid me twice, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, so we got $10,000 in that winery's pocket, like, straight away. And then there's just some nice stories, right? You know. I've got a client up in Oregon where when we took it over, it wasn't that the previous person was doing things poorly. They were just slow. They'd fallen really far behind. Mostly you could, you know, they had some illness and we went in there, we did some cleanup, we got the books done. And, you know, when we sent him that first set of management accounts, it was probably th three or four months into the project. He sent me this email that just said, no, I'm so thankful to get this set of management accounts. I haven't been able to understand if we're making a profit or not for almost two years now. Yeah, right. And it's just like, you know, he had a sense of what it is, but to deal with that hard piece of paper that says, yes, you're making a profit, I think was just a major relief like on their shoulders. Yeah. And then, you know, we've got some good news stories. Like we had a client that was sold this year, like the March 30th was the official date of it. And, you know, they went through the diligence, they sold to, you know, a listed group. And the financial side of it was really simple. You know, the buying entity didn't have too many questions. Because the books were really in order. So from the you know the banker type side, they're like it made our life a lot easier. They were really just talking about strategy and markets and winemaking rather than the accounting. Because the accounting is what can hold these deals up. So because we could move through that really quickly, it made the whole process so much easier. Yep. 
The story is fascinating. I love the immigrant aspects coming from uh, South Africa into disrupting a, a traditional, well, it is a pretty traditional Napa wine. <laughs> the, the industry in California is pretty traditional and pretty um, pretty staid, and, and you've done an amazing job in in tapping into that and creating a, a fantastic and successful business. So, Zane, we really appreciate you appearing on the Accounting Leaders podcast and sharing that story with you. Sorry, my picture has gone at the end there. I'm uh, struggling technically today. I really do congratulate you and and Candice and, and and the whole team on such a fantastic effort that uh, in the company that you've been able to create, the firm that you've been able to establish and, and uh, do such great work for the wine industry, which helps alcoholics like us, which is, you know, just a very important aspect of, of society during difficult times like COVID. So, uh, congratulations on your success. If there's anything that we can do, you know, never hesitate to reach out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I always feel like it's a really simple story, like do good work and be successful. And, I, you know, anybody that's thinking of even trying to get into their own accounting practice or, you know, want to consult in the accounting space, it, it's just that simple. Do good work and you will be successful. It's, you know, accounting at the end of the day is a fairly simple thing. You just have to do it well. When you enjoy helping people and when you and you do that through good work, it uh, makes the world go round. Yeah, and then you know we always we're really fortunate to stumble on carbon at a point in time as well, which is you know for me was a lifesaver and made a big difference in our, in our practice as well. Only too too glad to help out, Zane Stevens. Thank you for joining the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Thanks, cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.